0: When I was about four years old, my parents purchased a piece of property and it had an old house on it. And so my parents' vision was to uh, make the house somewhat livable and then they would build uh, on the back part of the of the acre- acreage that they purchased. And that was their mindset. That was their, their goal. That was their vision. So anytime that we went to town, which was a couple of hours away, Uh, We would stop at one of the haciendas, the then Lowe's of the time, and we would go in and they would always purchase remodeling magazines or how-to books. And we would come home with all these different floor plans and my parents would lay them out and my dad would sketch his own floor plans they would see ideas that they liked and they would take those and they were trying to come up with this perfect dream home that they could live in with the perfect floor plan anytime there was an open house when we were in town and we saw it we would go and check it out anytime we went by one of those uh, pre-formed house dealers we would always go in there and look at those pre-made houses. It was just kind of the way things were. And they were always looking for that that floor plan. People thought they we were always looking to move to someone else's house, but they were always just looking for the floor plan that they wanted to purchase, a floor plan that they thought was best for them. We never did build that dream house, by the way. Never happened. This morning, we're going to step away from our journey through Thessalonians, and we're going to take a few weeks. I don't know how many weeks we're going to take, but we're going to take a few. And we're going to look at God's blueprint for marriage. When we first moved here 22, 23 years ago, uh, every February, we would just take a few weeks and kind of look at marriage and think about marriage. And so we haven't done that for a while. And so as we came to this break between First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, I thought it would be a good opportunity for us. Just to take a moment and look at God's blueprint for marriage. This morning I'm going to look at God's marriage floor plan. Uh, and we don't need to go any further than Genesis chapter 2 verses 18 through 25 to discover this floor plan. Now this is a familiar passage to us. If you've attended any of the weddings that I've done, this is the passage i share. shared. If you've attended any of the premarital counseling classes that I've done, this is the passage I share. Because this passage contains God's marriage floor plan. And if we would look at this floor plan, and we would let this floor plan be the basis for our marriage, it would be amazing how many situations and how many difficulties we would overcome. Now, when Darcy and I first got married, uh, we went to our pastor shared this floor plan with us. And as I listened, as I took in the floor plan, I was like, okay, all right, okay. And I was ready to get out. But now that I'm standing, I'm sitting on this side of the desk, and I'm offering advice to couples looking to get married or couples that are married, I'm amazed at how well God's floor plan works. And as I live for Christ and begin living for Christ, I'm amazed at how good the floor plan has helped us in our marriage. And so I thought as we were looking at this and thinking about God's blueprint, it would be a good thing for us to begin by looking at the floor plan. So this is where we are this morning. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Now, as we look at this passage, there are going to be three headings that we're going to use to kind of lead us through this. In verses 18 through 20, we see the building needs. In verses 21 and through 23, we see the building materials, and in verses 24 and 25, we see the blueprint, the building blueprint. Before we dive into this, let's just pause for a moment and go before the Lord. Father, we're grateful for this morning that you've given to us, and grateful for this opportunity we have, Lord, to be able to look into your word. And Father, as we take this time, I pray you open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us. Lord, for some of us here this morning, we've been on this marriage journey for a while. Uh, Lord, and people come to us and and seek advice. And so I pray, Lord, that maybe there's something in here that we can glean, that we can be willing to share and be able to share. Father, there's some of us here who've who've lost a spouse who are single here as we're here. We haven't been married yet. And I pray, Lord, that as we look at these thoughts, as we look at these Uh, this blueprint, I pray, Lord, that you'd minister to our hearts and minds in that area as well. And I pray, Father, uh, that as we are here and we're married, and Lord, we maybe haven't lived in accordance to the blueprint that's laid out before us, I I pray, Lord, that maybe this would help us, that this would apply some much-needed help to where we're at. And so, Lord, I do just pray that somehow, wherever we are in life's journey, that your word would speak to our hearts, that your word would, would touch our hearts this morning. And, and Lord, only your Holy Spirit knows how this needs to be applied. And so I pray, Lord, that we would hear from you today. So Lord, grateful for who you are, especially grateful for your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. The first thing we want to look at this morning as we begin... Is the building needs. Now look at verse 18 with me. It says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. Now you remember from our journey through the book of Genesis that we drop here in Genesis chapter two. We are right in the middle of creation week here. We find ourselves on day six of creation and so we're at the end of the creation week, but that's where we find ourselves as we parachute in here to verse 18. Uh, now this is the first time in this narrative so far, this creation narrative, That we find this idea of things not good. Uh, Up to this point on the first six days of creation, we've seen God look and observe things and say, it is good. In Genesis 1, verse 10, it says this, God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas, and God saw It was good In verse 12 of Genesis 1 it says the earth brought forth vegetation plants yielding seed according to their own kinds trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind and God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day. Genesis 1, verse 18 says this, To rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness, God saw that it was good. There was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. Genesis 1, verse 21 says this, God created the great sea creatures, every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. Genesis 1, verse 25 says, God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good, and that was on day six. So, through those days, a number of times on those creation days, we read that it was good, that it was good, and that God, as we look at this, we see that man was there, and it says, it is not good. That the man should be alone. So, this is the thing that's not good is that man was there alone. Verse 18 here in Genesis 2 says this Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. He realized and he knew that man needed companionship. God created man with that need. For companionship. Now, this wasn't a new discovery for God. He already knew this, but he uh, mentions it and he speaks of that here. And as we think about that, as we think about man and his need, uh, he had a need for a helper. It says in verse 18, I will make him a helper fit for him. So God knew that he was going to make a helper for man. That was what God was going to do. Some try and talk about this helper, and they try to share and speak about this helper being a subordinate. And they speak of that helper as being subordinate, and it's looked down upon because this thought of being a helper. But this is not the case. We read that the Holy Spirit was given to us as our helper. He would help us. We read that God helped Israel. It says in Psalm 33, verse 20, Our soul awaits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Certainly, as you think about the Holy Spirit's work within us, as you think about God's work with Israel, this sure does not carry the idea of being a subordinate. This word that's used here is a military term. And this military term speaks of someone as being an ally, of someone being on your side as they are facing battle, as they're going in against the enemy, it's an ally. And as we think about that, as we think about this marriage and this very relationship between husband and wife, we are a team, we are allies, and this thing that we see is life as we go through life. And that is the picture here. A husband needs and is even dependent on his wife's support. And God knew that. God knew that. This is in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 9. It says, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. So God looked at this man that he created on day six, and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper. Now, notice what it says, I will make him a helper fit for him. The ESV uses the word fit for him, uses the phrase helper fit for him. I like the New American Standard. It uses the word suitable. <laughs> I will make him a helper suitable for him. This Hebrew word that's used here means counterpart. Okay, this is that marriage picture here, is this counterpart. This helper is going to be comparable. This helper is going to be a counterpart. This helper is going to be in a corresponding relationship here with with the man. Uh, This is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, and it says this, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? In that Ecclesiastes passage, there is this picture of the value of having two together in this. We think about putting a strand, a single strand, and thread sometimes is easy to break when it's that single strand. But man, when we take that, we just keep looping it through that button. You know, we can survive Thanksgiving, right? We put enough loops in it. If we just put one thread through there, we're not gonna survive Thanksgiving. But if we put multiple threads through that, that holds that button in place, and that button is secure. And that's this picture here of this helper. Uh, Of this helper being there and the man as God looked at him too he didn't didn't need to be alone that it was not good to be alone now we think about God recognizing this idea recognizing this need we also see here in Genesis that man recognized this as well look at verse 19 it says now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens. And he brought them to to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. Now, think about this as this is taking place. God brings all of these animals by the man. God makes it clear to the man that he needs a companion suitable for him, one who's like him. Now, think about this zoo as it walks by. God created all of these animals, created the the, the animals that were on the earth. He created them on day six. The birds and the fish were created prior to that. But they brought them to, God brought them to the man, and the man named them. And imagine as these animals come by, the man sees that there are two of them. He sees that they are male and female. But as they come by, he recognizes that there's no helper that's suitable to him. There's no one like him. There's no match. There's no match for him. Verse 20, it says, For Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. The man realized there was nothing like him. Have you ever played that game concentration where you turn over all of the cards? Uh, Sometimes you can get the fancy one with different pictures on it different uh, designs, uh, if you're old fashioned and you have cards in your house, we'll play for you. But you play it with the two black cards and the two red cards, so if you get two black sixes or two red sixes, those are the match, and so you play this matching game. How many of you have ever played it after you've owned it for a while, and you have that one odd piece, and you keep turning over the pineapple, but you never find the pineapple match? We ever played that and you keep trying and all of the all of the pieces are gone and all of a sudden you realize that hey we're missing one of the pineapples so you've been turning over that pineapple every time thinking this is the one and it never matches i picture the man being here in the garden and he sees all of the animals come by and seeing the matches that come by and there's two ostriches and there's two horses and there's two dogs and two cats, and nothing matches him. It's all different. He's the the odd man out. he's the pineapple in the pot. And he realizes that no match was found for him. He realizes as this takes place that he is alone. He realizes that something is missing. He realizes that the building has a need. Now we see the building materials. Look at verse 20. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. Now, as we look at this, and as we think about this building material, it's important for us to realize the Lord God is involved in this. This is important for us to realize that God is involved in this. God is the one who took this step. Man is not the one who took this step. In fact, man is asleep when this takes place. When we think about marriage, and when we think about the materials needed for marriage, so many couples leave God out of the picture. They forget that the center of their marriage needs to be Jesus Christ. Uh, And when Jesus Christ, or when God is left out, when we forget the architect, uh, marriages are in trouble from the beginning. Uh, I remember one time I went to this house. Um, they were He was an electrical contractor, and they were pretty good customers. I was Schwann's man. I was driving a duck truck, and I pulled up there. Have you ever walked in on somebody, and you knew that you are interrupting something? I mean, the tension is so thick, I could have cut it with a knife. I mean, I can tell that I walked into a hotbed and uh, they purchased everything like they normally did. They were good customers, and they had lots of kids, and so uh, they made this purchase, and it was a good purchase. And uh, so I'm getting ready to walk out to the truck, and he says, hey, I'll go out with you, which he never did, but he's going to come out with me. So I knew something was going on, and we get out there to the truck, and I start pulling product, and he said, hey, i got I to ask you. i got to talk to you about something. And I said, okay. And he said, I'm an electrical contractor. And he said, every morning when I get on the road, I pass you and I pass your truck. And he said, then when I'm done with work, I come home and you come to my house. So I know you're at work before I go to work, and I know you're at work when I come home from work. But he says, I noticed that you have a wedding ring on your finger. And he says, we're having some problems, and things are not going well in our home, and I don't know what's going to happen. But I want to know what the difference is between my marriage and your marriage. And I said, do you really want to know? And he said, yeah. And that's like saying, take to a dog. I mean, so I told him that, that Jesus Christ was the center of our marriage. And I said, that's the, that's the only difference. I said, when my wife and I first got married, I didn't live for Christ. I had no, no desire to live for Christ. But when we started having kids, when kids started showing up, we realized that, that they needed to be in church, and so we started taking our kids and raising our kids in, in church. And God got a hold of me, and I said, "God changed my life, and God changed our marriage." And I said, "That's really that's all. That's my only secret. I don't have anything else. Uh, I'm uglier than you are. Uh, I don't have that going for me, but Jesus Christ, I do have." And uh, I left. And I went to this lady the next day to her house, and she buys $400 worth of food from me. She just writes me a check, and she said, I just want to thank you for what you said to to, to Billy a Bob. And uh, I said, oh yeah, what did, I, what did I say? And she said that he told me that you told him that if he wanted to save his marriage, get his butt in church. And I said, well, I didn't quite word it like that, but uh, I guess if that's how he took it, that's that's how he needed it. But so many people forget Jesus Christ and their marital relationship, and they forget that God has to be the center of the home. And as we look at this, and as we see the materials needed here, we see that God is the one who realized the need. God is the one who got this in place, uh, and God is the one who's in the midst here. Now look at verse 21. It says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. Now, I think this is interesting as we look at this. Because when God formed man, he formed man from the dust of the earth. We saw this in Genesis 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. God could have created woman in the same way, but he didn't. God removed one of the ribs from man and he used that man, used that rib, and he sculpted from that man's rib a woman. God did that. God didn't take him from the head, she's not to be the head of the hole. God did not take her from the foot, she's not to be walked upon in the hole. He took her from the side, that place close to the heart, that place under the arm, that place of companionship, that place of partnership. And as you think about going through life together, that's a picture of how we go through life, isn't it? Side by side, enduring and going through the things that we go through. And that's what we see here is is God created man. As God took him, or created woman, taking uh, a rib from man and, and making her and forming her. And notice what it says in verse 22. And I think this is such an awesome thing. It says, he brought her to the man. Adam was asleep. And he didn't just wake up and roll over and there she was. <laughs> Adam wakes up, maybe he felt a little pain in the side, maybe he felt a little discomfort, maybe he felt the after effects of the of the medicine that he was given to put him to sleep. Maybe he had to have some crackers and drink some water, sit there for a little while. But then God brings this woman to him. Just like he brought all of the animals before him, he now brings his partner. He now brings the woman to him. God brings her to the man. Now look at verse 23. It says, Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This, at last, this at last. This is what he's been looking for. This is what he's been waiting for. I don't know if you guys have ever been to a wedding or not, but I do think it's an amazing thing when that back door opens and the bride walks through. Uh, I remember when my bride walked through, uh, she was worried that I wasn't gonna show, and I was worried that she would come to her senses and she would run out the other door. I really felt relieved because her dad walked in with her and he was not carrying a shotgun. was <laughs> just This could be a good day. Uh, but she came out. And when that happens, there's that moment when we see that bride-to-be in. And, and most weddings, people stand when the bride comes out. And this is what happens here. And Adam says, at last, finally. She's here, this suitable helper has come. None was found before, but now at last, she is come. And the man recognizes that significance. And notice what he says, oh, there's more dirt. No, he doesn't say that. He says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She realized that this was a part of himself. The Hebrew word is such a cool thing, uh, ish is the, is the word for man, and then it's just repeated for woman, all right? There's a little little word spelling, a word, little word differences there, but that's woman, and it's just uh, out of man comes this woman, so it's kind of this woman is kind of a play on words from man, and he says, this is bone of my bones, and this is flesh of my flesh, and he recognizes this significance. And she was to be cherished because she was a part of him. This is Ephesians 5:28. Ephesians 5:28, 28. It says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. It's a picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we'll see that again in the weeks to come. But as the man sees his bride, that's where he realizes that she is a part of him. Now we see the building blueprint in verses 24 through 25. Verse 24, it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, as we look at this passage, this is where we see marriage being instituted. Notice the word therefore right there in verse 24. Therefore. The word therefore, we always look and see what the therefore is there for. He's just built all of this. He's just shared all of this with us. And he says, because of that, Because of what's taken place, she was taken out of his rib, uh, fashioned into a woman, sculpted, and God brought her to him. Because of that, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This was something that was given later to Moses. This was not Adam and Eve here because Adam and Eve did not have a mother, and did not have a father. They were the first two created. So this is Moses instituting marriage. God gave this to Moses, and marriage is being instituted here. This is the marital practice that takes place. Uh, as a result of creation, because of what God has done with Adam and Eve, with man and woman, this is where marriage comes from. This is, this is where it was all instituted was there in the garden because of this moment God has sculpted this woman and the man uh, and he brings the woman to the man and this is the institution of marriage this is God's design Jesus makes a reference to this design in Matthew 19 verse 4 He, this is Jesus answered have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God is the one who instituted that. Jesus mentions that and speaks of that. And he says, because they were created, God instituted marriage. God put that in place. Marriage is God's doing. Marriage is God's doing. And because it's God's doing, man cannot change what God has designed, because it is God's design. This is Mark 10, verses 8 and 9. It says, the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. This is God's design. God is the one who established this. God is the one who instituted this. Now look at verse 24. This is where we see the floor plan. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This word that's used here, a man shall leave his father and his mother, this word means to leave behind. Now, this doesn't mean that once you get married, you never talk to your mom and dad again. This doesn't mean that. But what this is, is a picture of the man. And he's stepping out from underneath the authority of his parents. And he is now a household leader. He is now the one who is in authority. He is now the one who is the leader. They've moved out of mom and dad's nest and they've built their own nest. Now it's up to him to call the shots. It's up to him to lead the family. That is this picture of leaving mother and father behind. It is the, the beginning of a new family unit. The parent and child relationship is changed at this moment. Now this parent and child relationship is different. The Husband and wife, the marital relationship, is the primary relationship now. That is the one that takes precedence, is the marital relationship. Notice when God made Adam and made Eve. He didn't make Adam and Eve parents. But he made Adam a wife. He didn't say, oh Adam, you need a mom and dad. He said, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. You need a wife. And this is a new relationship here. This is a marital relationship. This is a primary relationship. And as we think about that marital relationship, it's important that we realize that that's the primary relationship. Because so many times when a a couple steps out and they begin this primary relationship, they still want to stay tied to the parental relationship. And when that parental relationship stays a tight bond, then that causes issues in the marital relationship. It's okay for us to go to our parents and get advice because there's things that they've been through that we haven't been through. So they're a great source of advice. But we need to take that advice and apply it to our nest and say, hey, this is how things are going to work for us. We have to make that decision. And that's how things work. And so that's the picture of stepping out, stepping away from that secondary relationship, and making this the primary relationship. Now it says, it says, and hold fast to his wife. I love the New American Standard Version because it says cleave. And that's that picture there is cleaving. It's, it's a bond, it's a it's holding together. This is a tight adherence, uh, not some cheap glue. But this is a tight bond that's there. And effort is to be given to hold on to this. And this does carry this idea of a monogamous monogamous relationship, all right? We see in scripture where they get away from this, where man gets away from this. But this was not God's original design. Man and woman cleaving together. This relationship cleaving together. And this is a This is a covenant relationship. God sees this as a covenant relationship. Uh, This is Malachi 2, verse 14. It says this, But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Covenant agreement is a binding agreement. This is an arrangement that can't be broken, and this is how God views marriage. He views marriage as as a covenant. So many times, it's easy for us to base our relationship based on emotions, and when we live life, emotions are just like this. I mean, we get a new car, and everything goes well, we're on the honeymoon, everything's beautiful, we have kids, and we don't sleep, all right? Then we get a new job, and things are good, and then we have kid number two, and we sleep, all right? And so often people live their married relationship just like this. And you know where divorces take place is on that bottom realm. But if we enter marriage and we see it as a covenant and we're saying, okay, I'm going to be, you're going to be my wife until death do us part. We agree to this covenant and it's a flat line. Regardless of how life takes us, we're in this flat line. That is God's picture. That is God's idea of a marital relationship. It is this covenant. It is this covenant relationship. And it says they become one flesh. Now, this is a picture of sexual relationship. This is a picture of physical relationship. But you know, it's so much more than just that. Becoming one flesh is seeing us as one. We're no longer he and her, we are us, we are we. We're no longer me, we are now we. That's that picture, that mindset. Have you ever noticed that as couples get older, they begin to even look a lot alike? Isn't that crazy how that works? But they become one, they just become that mindset. And you know what? That's the great process of being married is is working towards that oneness. Uh, I used to work on the farm with my grandpa, and we'd go, and we'd have lunch, and we'd have breakfast. I'd meet at his house, and he'd be having breakfast, and then we'd get in the truck, and we'd go have lunch, and uh, we just would spend that day with my grandma my grandpa in the morning and lunchtime with them. And I would be amazed. My grandpa would sit there, and he would go, and she would say, it's on the nightstand. <laughs> what? He's looking for his pocketbook. All right. So he comes out with his pocketbook. Next day, he's like, it's, it's in the bathroom. He's, lo- he's looking for his pen. He can't write his pen. But I never knew how they did that. But it's amazing to me, as Darcy and I have been married, that she the reads me like that. She knows exactly what's going on she can she can sense that and that's that part of becoming one flesh that's that part of sharing life together of of living life together of becoming one and and that's this mindset here that he he speaks about and it's amazing as we as we think about that notice that notice the order that it comes in Uh, they leave mother and father they cleave together they become one flesh so often we want to put one flesh first Hey, if, we're, if we can come together, then we can build on those other things. We get it backwards. God's design is for that one flesh, that intimacy, that growing together. That's, that happens after everything else, and that growing relationship takes place, and, and we mature and we grow in that relationship. That is, that is God's design. That is how God has laid it out. And notice what it says in verse 25. The man and his wife were both naked. And they were not ashamed. I don't know if you know this or not, but when you're naked, you can't hide nothing. I mean, all of all of your little issues they are exposed. That's just, you can't cover them up. That's just the way it is. And that is how a marital relationship is supposed to be. Open husband and wife, open together. Mentally, physically, emotionally, having that oneness, experiencing things. Not needing to hide things from one another. But being open with our spouse and being uh, accepting in those things. Uh, Sometimes in in relationships, uh, people forget that, people forget that. They have things in their relationships that they share with one another and that no one else needs to know, and sometimes it may just be something goofy, something, something funny, but it's just something that we have on a personal level. And it's kind of rough when other people find out about that. It's kind of our secret, it's kind of our thing. i heard a story about a couple, and uh, it was kind of a joke for a while. She wasn't a very good cook, uh, and she didn't have much practice. And so the first time she made biscuits, uh, they were pretty hard. I guess if you leave them in until the alarm goes off in the kitchen, they harden up pretty good. And they can even turn colors, I've never seen that. Anyway, it was kind of a joke that uh, they were joking with each other and he said, you know, we could sell these to the Red Wings. And they could do It would just be amazing. And so it was kind of a funny joke, and so they joke about it every time, you know, just the two of them. They got out in a group of people, the two of them, and they were with their friends. And uh, they kind of started joking about different things within their relationship. And the husband said, yeah, my wife, uh, we're thinking about getting something going with the Red Wings. And, and we can make some money on the side. And everybody laughed. Well, then that became the joke within this group of people, her red-wing business. And it kind of hurt. And it was something that they kind of laughed about amongst themselves, but it got out outside of that close circle and there was something that was kind of personal to her. And so they got home and he knew something was going on Slow learner, about that small, and he said, "Hey, what's going on?" And she said, "You know, that's kind of that's kind of between us. You know, kind of embarrassed that other people know that. And it seems like kind of a silly thing, but you know, sometimes in our married relationships, we share things like that that are that are secrets between us and they are funny things between us. But we share those with other people, and it and it damages this relationship. And so this person." It's easy for them to become withdrawn and easy for them to not want to open up about things because I don't want this to come up at the next bridge game or the next poker match. Uh, And so that can kind of cause division within a marriage. And so we have to be mindful of that, of that special relationship that we have with our spouses, making sure that we protect that. So there we have it. As you look at God's design for marriage, this blueprint, this war plan for marriage, we see the building needs. We see the building materials. And we see the building blueprint. So what do we take home from this? What do we apply to our lives? I think the first thing that we've got to realize and we've got to recognize is that God, the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be in our marriage. He is the primary building material. If we're gonna have a long lasting marriage, he has to be in the center. I've done lots of weddings and we've used candles, unity candles, we've used unity sand. I even did a wedding one time the husband was from uh, up north and so he had little pine cones and she was from one way county and she did soybeans and they poured those two things together as this unity to show the northerner the uper, and the soybean girl uh, coming together it was a great picture there's one that i did and they took a took a rope and it had three strands one strand represented the husband one strand represented the wife and the third strand represented Jesus Christ. And as the wedding began, one of them held the top of the rope, and the wife braided those three together. And then she tied it in the bottom, and all three different colors in that rope was a picture of the three things that are needed for a marriage to work. And I thought that was such a great picture, such a great reminder that we need that. We need God in the center of our relationship. Our pastor drew for us a triangle. He put God at the top, you put mercy on one side, and you put me at the other side. And he said, as you look at this triangle, you'll realize that all three sides are the same length. And as you guys grow in your relationship with Christ, the closer you get to God, the closer you will be with each other. And I thought, well, whatever. But you know, when I started living for Christ, My wife was living for Christ when I started living for Christ, and my relationship with Christ began to change. I was amazed at how close my wife and I got. But that is so important for our marriage relationships, is to have Christ at the center, to make sure that he's the hub of our wheel and that everything is going towards Christ. We also need to recognize God's floor plan. We need to recognize that God is the designer. He's the one who designed marriage. When we try to tweak it, and we try to make it to fit us, it's not gonna work. It is God's design. He is the designer. He knows how it works. So having him at the center and seeking his plan, seeking his program is, is far better. We need to cleave to one another. There's so many things that want to come in between us, that want to divide us. We need to fight for one another. We need to strive hard to cleave to one another. Uh, And and that'll help us overcome so many things. And we need to continue striving, striving towards being one. I thought that once you were married for seven years, isn't seven years the rough year? I thought once you were married for seven years, that was all just a piece of cake. But you know, marriage is something we've always got to be working on. It's a a continual process and it's a continuation of us growing closer and closer, striving, seeking to cleave, seeking to push those things away and continuing to strive together, striving towards becoming one.